You are listening to Cut Jib Newsletter Speaks, and this is Series 3, Episode number 13 for Friday, April the 28th, 2023. J.J. Sefton is here along with uh, my good friend, colleague, and co-blogger, CBD, who has just returned from a jaunt overseas. CBD, welcome back. Well, thank you very much. It's good to be back. I had a very nice time, and I was in London and in Paris, and while I do enjoy those cities very much... I noticed something very interesting, and it won't be a surprise to Americans, but the sense of personal freedom and and personal liberty from the government in those two cities and those two countries, uh, the UK and France, is vastly diminished in comparison to the United States, even the United States that is rapidly descending into authoritarian rule. My sense that the government was not only ascendant, in those two countries, but all powerful was pervasive. Everywhere you went, you saw the hand of government. And it was a benign hand because there was no need for it to be malign. But the fist inside the glove was evident. An example, uh, the French love these long caravans of, of unmarked police cars uh, escorting dignitaries or you know politicians or functionaries. And in the United States, I have come to uh, flip them off. Uh, if, if I see anything like that, I'm my middle finger comes up reflexively. It didn't even occur to me on the Champs-Élysées when I saw that, because that is a freedom that is not afforded to the French people. And it's still afforded us in the United States. For how much longer, I have no idea, but uh, I'm going to take advantage of it for as long as I can. You know, there was actually, you mentioned France, there was a story, I believe it was even a few days ago, if not last week at the most, that a man actually in Paris, I believe, did exactly as you as you stated, CBD. He flipped the l'oiseau, the bird, to a, a motorcade to, to Macron, and he got arrested. He was thrown into jail in, in France for doing that. And uh, yeah, that's coming. I mean, uh, all things considered, uh, you know, you will... Uh, you dare to defy uh, the powers that be, and, and, and that will happen. And that segues very nicely into our first topic, which, of course, is the huge story that broke on Monday, was the dismissal and, and firing of uh, Tucker Carlson, the, probably one of the few or probably the only voice of, uh, of reason and sanity and opposition to what's going on in, the, in what was uh, the mainstream media, which is really now essentially the Ministry of Propaganda for this hunter. And they got rid of him. And that's also on the heels of getting rid of, uh, on the radio, they also had Dan Bongino. It's incredible. He, he's gone and Fox's stock tanked like by, I, I think, something like a, a billion dollars. And on the, I think yesterday, finally, Tucker Carlson released a two-minute statement on YouTube. And that got something north of, and it's still counting, north of 80 million views. He had literally 10 times the audience he had on his, on his, uh, on his program just to watch that YouTube video. And Fox now, it's now in the shitter. But again... Do they really even care if they're doing this? And uh, I have a feeling that the, the, the profit motive, I don't necessarily think it exists anymore. I think they're just they're doing this as a, as the totalitarian uh, clouds swirl around what was the United States of America. It doesn't matter anymore. So Tucker Carlson hopefully reemerges somewhere stronger than ever. And Fox News goes the way of the dodo. Please, God. You know, I. I- I didn't know what happened. My first thought was that it was a mutual parting of the ways. Um, and then, of course, more and more information came out that it was not. Ace over at Ace of Spades has written about it uh, quite extensively. And, and I have to take 
what he says quite seriously because I think he's he's uh, connected to the media through friends and through uh, informants and such. But his supposition that it was pure politics is, I think, obvious. And the idea that uh, Fox is going to survive this intact, I think, is laughable. They lost a fair amount of market share by dumping him. I don't know how how much Bongino draws to, to them. But in addition to losing that time slot, Tucker Carlson fed a huge number of viewers into uh, Sean, uh, what's his name? Uh, Sean Hannity. Hannity. And, you know, Hannity is, is a fading star. So I, I don't think that his franchise can, can long survive the loss of that tremendous audience that just, uh, you know, leaves the TV on because, you know, Tucker's done, but uh, who's this guy? Let not your heart be troubled, though. That's oh. important. And, and he is a great American. We all know that. Anyway, yeah, he's, uh, the one, yeah, he, he's the one who defends the along with yeah, Andrew McCarthy. Yeah, you know, he never saw the a copy. He didn't, want, he didn't want to fillet and he didn't see it. He's <laughs> never seen an, uh, an FBI or CIA agent that he didn't want to uh, give a hand job to. He's, he disgusts me. You know, the, the, this reflexive love of the tip of the spear, you know, oh, all the, you know, 99 percent of the FBI guys are great. It's that one percent. Well, you know something? I think that's a lot of shit. The, the idea that the 99% are observing uh, lawbreaking and doing nothing means that they are lawbreakers. Um, it's the same thing with cops. You know, people talk about, oh, you know, they're just a few bad eggs in, in American policing. That's a lot of crap. The fact is that if that if a, a rank and file policeman or FBI agent sees lawbreaking, it is his duty to do something about it. And yet these men do not do anything about it. So they are aiding and abetting the breaking of the law and the destruction of our constitutional rights. So uh, Hannity can take that and stick it up his ass. Um, oh, yeah. Plus he's, he's a yeah. bore. He's a he's a he's a loud mouth. He's bore. He doesn't let his guests talk. So I, I hope that he goes very, very soon. Yeah, the, the only reason that he was that he really was ever to win an argument, if you can call it that, with his former and late partner Alan Collins was because Alan Collins was wrong about everything and just and even, Hannity was, and even stupider than Hannity which is which is damned impressive <laughs> stupider than Hannity but he was actually rather affable I kind of liked Alan Collins in a certain way yeah because he had a, he actually had a history if you remember him back in New York I think he was on New York radio he was a sort of a, he was a DJ before things got really crazy and political post 9-11 and, and when Fox came along but that aside I mean Hannity just sort of stumbled upon things because he was just on supposedly on the conservative side of things. But this goes back to the beginning of Fox when you had you had a very stellar lineup. I mean, it wasn't just, uh, you know, Tucker Carlson. You had, you know, Britt Hume, which was pretty solid. And, you know, you, you had a bunch of people who were, who were terrific. But then, of course, some of the people got exposed as time went on. The people like Mort Kondracki and uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Fred Barnes. And these people were just, be, you know, were sort of conservative ink and they're just on the national review side of things. So as things shook out and as you know, as Trump came on the scene and as people got fed up and, you know, with with conservative ink and saying, well, we'll we'll get him next time. But just, you know, come on the cruise with us. Uh, people got fed up with that crap. And then, of course, uh, everyone's freak freak flag uh, started flying. And uh, Ace over at Ace of Spades pointed this out, that all these, uh, you know, con conservatives uh, were exposed. And, and this is, you know, so Tucker Carlson was really sort of the last of the last. I don't know that there's anybody really on that network. I mean, Laura Ingram allegedly is going to now take his, his slot, but great. She was, was, was it she, or was it, what's her name? Um, I forget her name. Who was, uh, justice Clarence Thomas's, uh, uh you know, Oh, assistant. Yeah, her, her. Yeah. The idiot, the, the other idiot. 
I forget her name, but uh, you know. Anyway, and, and one of them was I think one of them went out with Keith Olbermann, so that was I think maybe once. I, I can't believe I can't believe can't remember this broad's name. And I can't remember so, it either. Oh, uh, Coulter, Ann Coulter. There yes, you go. Ann Coulter. Yeah, she she basically beclowned herself too with uh, you know be that but be that as it may, you know Tucker Carlson and and this was somebody made an interesting observation about this was that he was never really any necessarily any staunch conservative so to speak, but what happened was due to the COVID nonsense when everybody started working remotely, I believe Fox News built a studio for him in his home either in Florida or in Maine, maybe up in Maine. And as he sort of distanced himself from the D.C. swamp and the cocktail party circuit and all this stuff, he was away from the influence of all of these people. And he began to see what we always saw, the, the absolute corruption, both you know financially, uh, criminally and, and morally and spiritually of the sewer that is Washington, D.C. And he began to see things uh, in a very clear light and report on them from uh, whether it was COVID or whether it was the ele- the electoral cheating. And, and I know that the reason that he got supposedly got fired was because of the Dominion suit, but he didn't even push that. He was skeptical of, of Sidney Powell and all the claims about that. But he really was bringing up issues, as he stated in his two-minute piece on YouTube, that the media is just refusing to cover, or if they're covering it all, they're obfuscating it and, and spinning it and distorting it completely. So that is why he had to go. And as Fox News and uh, News Corporation became part of that world, uh, it was obvious that he had to go and, and Bongino as well. So there's really, you know, who's left? I guess it's Laura Ingram. Is that is that it? Well, we shall see. Is she going to be brave enough to, to uh, air the 44,000 or any segments of the 44,000 hours of uh, videotape from January 6th? Well, I kind of doubt it because I'm sure the gun is pointed to her head to, uh, you know, you can be conservative up to a point and then uh, toe the line. So it is what it is. So let it let the things shake out as they will. Fox News joins the ash heap of history with the rest of them. And that's fine. They were never particularly conservative. Uh, They were certainly uh, right of center for a little while. But I think we all saw them drifting, actually not drifting, being pushed carefully um, to the middle, if not to the soft left. But the bigger question, I think, is where Tucker Carlson is going to end up. And the question is, does the Internet hold enough promise for him for him to create a presence on it? Because he had a ready-made audience and say what you will about Fox News. It was the preeminent, quote, conservative, unquote, voice in the United States, uh, aside from Ace of Spades and us. Um, Yes. Yeah. And I I wonder if he's going to try to create something on the Internet through podcasts or or, who knows, uh, you know, news aggregation, uh, you know, nightly shows. I I have no idea. You know, video. What do they call them? Uh, What what do you call a video blogcast? A vlog? A vlog, yeah, I don't know. It's a vlog, anyway, a vlog. I know I, I, yeah, I don't. Yeah. It's funny because the lands, you, you know, you, you bring this up and it just it illustrates the point very well, CBD, that the landscape of media with Carlson's removal is really rapidly evolving. I wouldn't say it's devolving, yeah. but it's evolving into a different forming. Somebody wrote, I don't know if it was Robert Spencer or somebody wrote a, an article, and the, and the headline of it was literally the death of, you know, the end of, of news uh, news television broadcasting. And this was something that CNN started in 1980, and then you know Fox came along in '96, and it's an it is the end of an era. And with the internet, of course, now so many other alternate venues to get your information. And this is why you know the control of the internet and the control of uh, of information and censorship and so on and so forth. And now all of a sudden, you know the the rise of this so-called disinformation and malinformation 
that the government is, is, is pimping on everybody is so alarming. I believe the next area that they really are going to try to, to, to clamp down on is the Internet. Biden and his junta did this already by literally surrendering American control of the Internet, I believe, to an international body. And right there is just I mean, that's that's disastrous. So um, but the, the, you know, the chink in the the chink in the armor of the left when it comes to the Internet and misinformation, disinformation, malinformation is that Elon Musk bought Twitter and they took that instant ability, that effortless ability to manipulate public opinion through Twitter away from them. And I think that's important. I don't know that Twitter is ever going to be on our side, on the conservative side, but it is certainly far less of a leftist tool that can be used to destroy anything and anyone. That era has ended. There is no equivalent internet outlet that allows them to do that. You know, there are probably 15 or 20 important internet outlets, but they will never have the reach of, nah, I should never say never, Uh, but they probably will not have the reach that Twitter had. Anyway, right. I, I just I, I agree with you. I, I think that this this is certainly a sea change and uh, it'll be interesting how it shakes out. Absolutely. I mean, Twitter, I mean, I, I will I will say this for Twitter, you know, whatever one thinks about Elon Musk's uh, sometimes idiosyncratic or contradictory moves of, you know, and some of his statements and some of his his, his moves. Uh, the government is certainly clamping down on him and abusing him visa vis-a-vis, he, you know, SpaceX uh, endeavors. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, try- they're always trying to screw him over at Boca Chica, via, whether it's the EPA or whether it's the FAA or whatever with his launches. Uh, that's one thing. But the one thing I give him credit for is now all of a sudden, whenever some idiotic statement that somebody makes on Twitter or a crazy statement – a fact check from a conservative will will pop up and will challenge that, whether it's from Joe Biden or whoever. And in fact, uh, Elon Musk just banned some sort of radical transsexual for something for promoting something. I forgot what it was, but that would in, in the days before Musk, that would never happen. None of not, neither of those things would happen. Most conservative voices would get banned and would be censored, as we know, in the run up to the 2020 election. Every conservative voice was censored on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, you name it, whether it was trying to discuss, you know, the COVID shots or the lockdowns or, you know, election fraud or you name it. Those silent or Hunter Biden's laptop, those voices were silenced on every outlet. And on Twitter, at least now, we do have a shot at, at countering that. So that is a positive. It will be, as you say, interesting to see how both the landscape of communications of mass communications changes uh, post Tucker Carlson's departure, as well as what the uh, the junta is going to do in response to that. Because as we have seen from all the words and all the blood libeling from Joe Biden on down, anything that is not specifically supportive of leftist causes, Democrat candidates, and you name it, is to be considered a threat to our precious democracy. Throw up at, at, on that one. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I, it infuriates me every time I hear the word democracy um, and the United States in the same sentence. These people are so damned illiterate. They have no sense of the beauty of what the founders created. And it's obviously everybody who's listening to this podcast uh, understands that it's not a democracy. It's a, a constitutional republic, uh, which is why we have been able to retain so many of our rights for so long. You know, democracy invariably leads to Uh, despotism. Uh, I think it leads to the tyranny of the majority, and unfortunately, we are descending into that now.
you mentioned the uh, Biden junta, and this is sort of tangential to that. The U.S. Navy tells us that Iran has seized an oil tanker in the Gulf, and uh, it's a Marshall Islands flagged oil tanker. Now, the Marshall Islands is simply a placeholder for the United States of America. So this means that Iran has seized an American ship. And I'm curious if the junta, if the, the drooling fools, handlers, whoever they may be, uh, are going to do anything about this. Well, it's going to be probably a stern letter in the New York Times, but the, the, what I thought you were going to mention, CBD, and we mentioned it before we went on the air, is, uh, and, I, and I must have been confused because I thought this was somehow related, the Iranians not only seized the Marshall Islands flagged, which for all intents and purposes is an American uh, tanker, but they seized a Chinese tanker in the Gulf as well. And this is really, it's amazing, right on the heels of China, allegedly, you know, they did, brokering some sort of a rapprochement between the mortal enemies of uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia, Shiite Sunni, and trying to wedge themselves into the Middle East as, as an influence broker, which they are succeeding in doing, because there was another story where we just found out through these through these documents that were released by this National Guardsman, these, these secret documents, that the UAE is uh, has allowed the Red Chinese to establish a military base uh, in the in the Emirates. That was, I mean, that's insane. But the fact that they seized a Red Chinese tanker means that uh, this might put a little bit of a of a damper both on on this uh, rapprochement and perhaps even on on Chinese uh, influence, at least temporarily. Uh, you know, the fact that that Iran is vast approaching the point of getting a nuclear weapon, it does potentially make things a little bit easier or give a little bit of cover perhaps for the Israelis and maybe maybe the Saudis to, to do a first strike to take those weapons out. Just a point of information, it, you know, ship ownership is complicated. So it's the tanker we're discussing is a sh- it was chartered by Chevron. It is owned by the Chinese and it is flagged in the Marshall Islands. So it is a U.S. <laughs> protectorate tanker. It's the flag that flies over the ship that really matters. You know something? To be honest, I doubt that the, the, the Iranians know who own the tanker. They see the flag. They know that it's a, a Chevron charter. This is just the lunacy of Iran. The Revolutionary Guard uh, in, in Iran controls most of this kind of stuff, and they're just nuts. These are people who are hoping that the end of the world comes damn soon so that they can, you know, fly off to uh, their 72 virgins and and uh, worship at the feet of Allah or is that do I have that in reverse are they worshiping the virgins heard. and buggering Allah I, I don't know I'm <laughs> it always keeps me confused Yikes. anyway uh, maybe we should cut that out I don't know let's not um, <laughs> but it is interesting and I'm curious how the Biden hunt is going to react to this as and I think both of us expect that nothing will happen um, no, nothing will happen of course not because right now supposedly they're Whatever you think of them, at least the House GOP is on the stick here. They've introduced some sort of legislation to try to really prevent as best they can the kickstart of the Iran nuclear deal yet again. And the Biden junta is doing everything it can to give Iran nukes. And so what's a hijacked oil tanker when, you know, yeah. we want to give these Iranians the bomb. And so, so come on now, let's, uh, you know, if, if you want to make an omelet, though, you got to break a few eggs. Am I right or am I right? But this just shows the absolute insanity of this junta, what they want, how they view the world. And we've talked about this on previous podcasts, these are the, you know, foreign policy, which there is no foreign policy. I mean, again, it's tangential, but look, look what's going on in Sudan. Sudan is descending into civil war, and there are 16,000 reportedly Americans who are stranded 
uh, in that country. And Tony Blinken got went on, on TV and said, well, we're not going to really do anything. It's basically said, well, you know, screw you. It's tough luck. Or, you know, do what you can. Meanwhile, every other government has scrambled their military forces to get their citizens the hell out of the country. So it's like the same thing that happened in Afghanistan, although that that was precipitated by by Biden's bug out. They don't know what they're doing. And I mean, or, or it's driven ideologically and just with their, their head up, their collective ass about how the world works, who the bad guys are, and America stinks. And so we have to do everything we can to, to redress that problem. I mean, I think the, the, the idea that the world is, is descending into chaos is, has, is valid because it's, it's always descending into chaos. And, and the conceit that has been going on um, probably, oh God, since uh, the elder Bush was president. That the United States is the world's policeman, that we can go in and we can fix anything is just ridiculous. Uh, you know, you look at at Sudan and it's a shithole. It's chaotic. It's there. It's lawless. And no American presence can fix that. Why we are involved in Sudan is simply beyond me. Now, 20 years ago, I would have been gung ho. Let's let's send the 101st Airborne into Sudan. Let's let's take care of business. Let's kill the bad guys, make them a Jeffersonian democracy, and then we'll leave. Right. That'll take that should take two, three months and everything will be fine. And of course, I was a fool 20 years ago. And many of us were fools 20 years ago that, that we thought that that could actually happen. It can't happen. We saw it, as you just pointed out, in Afghanistan. We've seen it in Iraq. The idea that these backward companies can miraculously be converted into, you know, benign liberal democracies is is hubris. Nothing more, nothing less. So I think that that and I and by the way, I think that America is rapidly coming to this conclusion. We need to get the hell out of most of the world. We should support our allies and ignore these seething masses of chaos and violence and evil. There's nothing we can do about it. So why are we losing blood and treasure? There's a flip side to uh, just uh, to something that you just said a, a moment ago, CBD, about viewing the world as America, uh, viewing America as the world's policeman. The other part of it is I think this hunter views America as the problem in the world. So it's that it's interesting. We're either the world's policeman or we're the cause of all the misery in the world. So uh, make at up your mind, folks. And so at the same time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's internally <laughs> inconsistent. These people, right. they're it's, illogical. As well right. as it's like, as evil, right? Jews Jews are Bolsheviks and and capitalists at the same time. I mean, you know, it's yeah. the same it's the same sort of mindset, and it drives you crazy. It's like, well, look, what's the, what's the story? You, know, we're, we, you, you bitched and moaned for years and years that we're, we're, you know we shouldn't be involved in the world. America out. America's you know colonialism, imperialism, and here we are. The, the same people who were screaming that, however however many decades and years, are saying we need to go into Ukraine and and, uh, and fight the Russians. And, you know, it's just you just want to as you want to stick your head in an oven. But I was saying I want to stick somebody else's head in an oven while we still have gas because the, the gas ovens are going. And well, all we'll be able to do is broil, broil ourselves to death. But uh, but there you go. Speaking of neocons. <laughs> <laughs> so we've there got go. uh, we've got Nikki Haley. You know, she's she's a presidential candidate. Um, oh, cool. And aren't we also thrilled by her? She um, offered she, she made a public offer to the Walt Disney Corporation to move its Florida operations to South Carolina because, you know, that's a lot of money. And the people of South Carolina would be tremendously supportive of Disney and its grooming operations because that's what South Carolina needs. A horribly woke, disgusting company 
who comes in and supports every single hard left woke concept that any that these these lunatics can come up with. So Nikki Haley, I wasn't going to support you before, but boy, oh boy, you put your foot in your mouth and I just love it. I'm going to enjoy this. DeSantis's handlers have already uh, trolled her wonderfully. So uh, it's it's fantastic. Disney is now going to compose a song and change the lyrics from it's a small world after all to it's a small hole after all. This woman is just su- such a feckless n- nothing. And, and th- you saw this years ago when she was governor, I believe, of South Carolina, when there was the controversy with the Confederate statues. Now, look, I don't want to get into a whole intestinal hassle about the Confederacy and who's right, who's wrong, slavery. Hold blah, on, hold blah, on. Blah, no, no, so. I'm, I, I do want to get into it. Hold on one second. OK, OK. The, the fact is that the United States fought a brutal civil war between 1861 and 1865. The reality, however, is that good men on both sides died. They fought honorably. They fought hard. They died. They should be remembered and they should be honored. I am 100 percent a supporter of everything that Lincoln did, even though ultimately it was probably the downfall of the United States, because it would have been the downfall of the United States in 1861. But the idea that we should discard the Confederacy as this rabid, racist, evil, you know, part of America, and we should ignore it. We should destroy the monuments, take down the flags. It's just nuts. It's wrong. We have to remember because there's nothing wrong with honoring these people and understanding that the cause for which they fought was wrong. Well, that was exactly what I was going to say. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, you got into the intestinal hassle, but no, but but you're correct. Right. Right. That is the nub of the discourse. That is what happened. But Nikki Haley decided to bend, forgetting what the issue is for a moment. She decided to bend over and grab the ankles and allow the, the cultural revolutionaries to destroy the Confederate monuments. Yes. And here's the thing that she does not understand. And so many people do not understand. When you give them an inch to do this, there is no stopping them. Because what did they do then after that? They went after Christopher Columbus. Hell, they're going after Mahatma Gandhi in, in or wherever. They're going after all sorts of people who are the most decent people on the planet. They're going after, you know, Jefferson because he had slaves. They're going after George Washington. They're going after everybody. They're going after Abraham Lincoln for crying out loud. You know, the, the man who emancipated the, the, the slaves, you know, Why, in 1863. He, yeah, because he didn't emancipate them in 1861? Yeah, pr- I mean, pretty it, much. It, it's insanity. It is insanity. I keep saying so, it's insanity because it's insanity. It is insanity. But this is what the, the, the move is, is you wipe out someone, you wipe out our history. And it's not just the monuments, as we all know. This is happening in the schools. This is what critical race theory or, you know, Jive Camp, as I call it, from Ibram Excrement is all about. And the 1619 Project is to rewrite history, is to obfuscate and to to blood libel America as being founded on racism and uh, and slavery when the point of the matter is the country was founded to end those things. What they don't recognize and they refuse to recognize is the fact that these people were men of their time. If they truly wanted to build a nation based on white supremacy, they wouldn't have made the tools of getting rid of it there and obvious. The only reason that we had slavery 
going in at the very beginning was because we couldn't form a union and break away from Great Britain unless we acceded to the demands of two states, one of which being, I guess, was South Carolina. Maybe the other one was Georgia as well. But it set up the inevitable conflict that led four score and seven years later to the Civil War. And ultimately. And it, it, but the thing is that, that, that the genius of the founders. Look, here's a little test for our listeners. Go ask a 20 something idiot what the three fifths compromise was. And I'm going to bet you that the majority of them say, oh, that's because the, the founders were racist and they only valued black people as three fifths of a white person. Any student of history understands that it was a marvelous way to minimize the power of the slaveholding states because it was simply how to count the population. And if blacks were counted as three fifths, the slaveholding states had less power in obviously in the lower house. Um, you know, and it was a I got I got I got to say I got to interrupt you for one second by the way if you were to ask the average uh, millennial or whoever it is forget the three fifths conference three fifths compromise if you were to ask them uh, who's buried in Grant's tomb or what was the color of George Washington's white horse they wouldn't know that they wouldn't even know who George Washington was but that's you know that's a sad commentary on the state of education but, but they know who the Kardashians are oh absolutely there you go okay it's, it's now just, we have two curmudgeons ranting about how it was much better yesterday. Let me tell you, you you young people, you don't know. Yeah. But I mean, meanwhile, we got so far off the track on Nikki Haley. But oh, you think? <laughs> but so anyway, let's get, let's get back to, to Nikki Haley, uh, or actually the the GOP traitor, the conservative yes. traitor. And we'll let's discuss another uh, traitor, and that is Joe Nikki. Manchin. Uh, oh. Joe Manchin made noises about being a rational conservative Democrat, but he has caved enough that it's obvious that those noises were simply politically expedient and that he has no desire to do anything other than be a Democrat and be a fomenter of evil in the country. So the governor of West Virginia has challenged him for the next in the next senatorial election, which I do not know when that's got to be 2024. I think his term is up in 2024. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully Mr. Manchin will be uh, shown the door. I don't know anything about Jim Justice. I, I know his name. That's it. If anybody knows anything about him, please, please tell me. I know that he's rich, too, which is good. I hope that Jim Justice beats the snot out of Manchin. We get a little bit better in, in the United States Senate. Eh, less, that, that would less bad. Yeah, well. Yeah, less bad. How's that? Not Let, exactly. Never, yeah, never. The, the, the Senate is such a freaking cesspit. But possibly in 2024, I, I, I'm shuddering to think this. And there was an article about this. And, you know, we laugh at this boob or two boobs uh, of, uh, as I call her, Titi Kaka, this Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. But she theoretically may be running to a primary uh, Schumer sock puppet, Kristen Gillibrand. She may very well become a senator. And that yeah, is that's fine. Just, that doesn't bother me. I mean, <laughs> oh, it's going to be it's going to be the the safe Democrat seat in the Senate. Uh, so what? I mean, is she going to vote differently than Gillibrand? Gillibrand, no, of course not. No, it makes no she's not. So all, you know, like, a vote is a vote, whether it's from a, a you know from Alexandra Donkey Chompers or uh, from Gillibrand. Who cares? Exactly. This is why you know we talked about, and they'll segue into into another interesting character who is in the race is uh, RFK Jr. And, you know, I'll say this about the guy, and, and let's just put it right on the table. He is a wackadoo environmentalist, and he hates fossil fuels, and it's out there. And some of his, his remarks about, oddly enough, the people that 
you know, like like the Castros uh, that that his uh, that his uncle fought against and his father fought against have been to say rather rather benign and and, pra- and praising of them. But that said, RFK Jr. is to be praised because all during the whole COVID nonsense, he was one of the lone voices of sanity along with uh, Dr. Naomi Wolf about what's going on between the vaccination uh, push to vaccinate everybody, the lockdowns and all of it. He called them out as liars and. He is to be praised for that. He's also feeling the wrath of the Democrat Party because they're trying to screw him out of uh, like, like they did, I guess, Bernie or, or whoever it is over the last couple of elections of uh, out of a fair shake in the primaries. I, I will say this about Robert Kennedy, F. Kennedy Jr. I'll never vote for the guy for, for a host of reasons. But here's a guy and I've invited him on the podcast. I've reached out to, to whoever I could to reach out to invite him on. Here's a guy who will come on this show if he ever does hear us. And he'll be reasonable and he'll be logical and he'll be rational and he will respect you and I, CBD, as human beings. He's not going to look at us as uh, cancer to be eradicated. So for that alone, and that's such a crucial issue, it's the issue of free speech. And on these other crucial issues that like COVID that he is uh, out front on, I salute the guy and I, I wish him well. Now, as far as his environmentalism, you know, maybe he's open enough to maybe taking a second look at things and listening to rationality and, and, uh, and reason about it. Maybe not. Who knows? But here's a guy at least you can talk with and who's somewhat reasonable and understands the power of, of the big government and understands the power of fascist cronyism when uh, corporations are in bed with government. And that, that's something that you can't just sneeze at and dismiss. So bravo to Mr. Kennedy. Well, I, I would like to believe that he's a classical liberal. And if you read, if you go to his uh, uh, presidential website, presidential campaign website, you under civil liberties, you'll see a, uh, a pleasant sounding uh, several paragraphs, but it's, it's I've read it and it very carefully does not criticize the Democrat Party. He's, he talks about that liberties that have endured constant assault for over 20 years, uh, starting with the Bush-Cheney war on terror and accelerating in the era of COVID lockdowns. And that's a shot at, at Trump. Uh, that's certainly not a shot at uh, Biden. But if you go on and you and he talks about exactly the kinds of things that the conservative movement in the United States is very, very concerned with. Unfortunately, with his love of civil liberties comes an amazing amount of baggage. He'll gut the Second Amendment. He will destroy American energy independence and he will probably torture the economy with onerous restrictions on the ability of business to use energy and how they use energy and how they pretty much do everything. And for that, I would not, just because of that, I would not support him. And my question to you, Sefton, is the fact that he is a rational sounding man and that he is not a jingoistic maniac the way Biden is, is that enough? Is that enough to support him? No, of course not. But it's enough to support the fact that he is questioning. He's at this point, he is an ally of convenience because he is attacking them from the left. And that's a good thing. Believe me, I totally understand. As, as I said, my and I've, I've said this on several, several I'm occasions. Not, I, I apologize. I'm not really suggesting that you're going to support him. I, I no, no, no. I do not. I, am, I would never vote for him. In, right. I would never vote for him in a billion, billion years. But 
at least, as I said, you can reason with the guy. You could talk to him. Is he intractable and inflexible on these other issues uh, of uh, the environment and oil and business and the Second Amendment? Probably is. I mean, there's probably no there's probably no changing his mind on it. But can you talk to him like like a rational human being without uh, devolving into a screaming match or calling you a Nazi? Sure, absolutely, and that's that's to be welcomed. Now, you, it's interesting that you mentioned. Uh, you know, the global war on terror. Oh, that makes me gag. And Bush and Cheney, you know something? Considering what we just talked about a little while ago, second look at that. He may, he may, he may not be wrong about that. All this thing, the weapons of mass destruction and Islam is not our enemy and all of this shit. And now 20 years later, 3,000 or more thousand dead Americans from Afghanistan and Iraq and nothing to show for it except it's worse off than it was before. You know, maybe he has a point on that one. So, a lot of these people that we we mocked and we scoffed at and we sort of went into uh, thinking, oh, they're they're idiots and they're if you're, you're they're not with us, they're with the terrorists. Well, guess what? And and here's George Bush uh, going along with Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, supporting the mass migration of millions of illegal aliens into the country. That's just another uh, thing. So. Who's who are the enemies here? There you go. So on, on that issue, he, you know, maybe he wasn't. He maybe Cindy Sheehan weren't so far off uh, off the mark after all. So well, I think you and I are going to have to agree to disagree. I, he RFK Jr. scares me enough that I'm very 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 wary of oh of course of his presence well, again. on the national stage. And I and I understand that what you know the the noises he made about COVID, the noises he makes about civil liberties, it's important stuff, but it's certainly not going to convince me that he is anything other than a hard left maniac. Uh, until, until uh, you know, does, uh, I'm sorry, a polite and gentle hard left maniac. Right. Look, until unless and until he does the complete Naomi Wolf mea culpa about conservatives, which yeah. she did, not just on COVID, on everything, on the transsexual thing, on fe- all these things. And he's been very, so far, RFK Jr. has been completely mum on that issue. So you don't really know. But until that, I, I, I'm happy that he's out there opening his mouth and shooting his mouth off because, you know, we're saying the right things, at least on this issue. That's a good thing. And so it, it opens at least it'll open people's minds to our side of the our side of the equation, the, the low information or whoever or the so-called moderates who say, look, if RFK Jr. is talking about this, then maybe these conservatives have a point about civil liberties and the. Uh, and the COVID thing. So that's, well, I, that's I think, a good thing. I, I think the uh, the higher purpose of an RFK Jr. Uh, candidacy is to fracture the, yes. the the monolith of of the left. If he can insert, you know, a wedge and crack that monolith, then I, then all power to him. Right. There was uh, a, there his, was an article. His, actually, let's, let's face it. His policies, most of his policies, are terrifying. Yeah, they're, they're terrifying. They're horrendous. Absolutely, without a doubt. Again, there was actually an article in the uh, I think it was Wall Street Journal about. The, the emergence of him and Marianne Williamson as a real threat, perhaps, to, to Joe <laughs> Biden. They're because Seriously, because they are gaining traction. They're gaining enough traction to cause, you know, they, they can't just install Joe Biden. They would literally now have to do, pull what they did with the Bernie Sanders and either, you know, bribe them with a ski chalet in Vermont somewhere or, uh, or uh, you know, just do what they do and just rig, rig the primaries and, and crush them. But they're starting to get certain i think rfk was getting something like 20 percent of uh and williamson was like eight or nine percent and that's not you know all things considered the, the collectively together that's nothing really to sneeze at so the last thing i think the democrats want to do is put biden in a position 
where he has to debate anybody, let alone two people from from the Democrat party. So that will be interesting to see how that shakes out. That would be a fun debate, Biden and and RFK Jr. Absolutely. That would, oh that would make me laugh. He's a bright guy. I'll, I'll give the guy credit. He is a, right. he's an intelligent man and he's he's well educated and he is knowledgeable. So they will, they will never every, they everything will Biden never, isn't. Right. They will never in a billion, billion years allow that to happen. No, I mean, it was it was the, the I mean, the, the debates with Trump alone, the fact that, you know, the, the cocktail of drugs and whatever the heck that uh, Biden was on was uh it was bad enough, whatever Trump's performance or whatever you want to think about it. But at least it was natural. But this time, two years, four years later, forget it. Biden is he won't last. He'll be I can't see the guy last. God, so, you know, speaking about now that we're on the topic of politics, I'm curious who you think is going to replace Chlamydia Harris as the vice presidential <laughs> candidate. Um, I, I, I simply don't see them going into 2024 with her as the vice president uh, as the candidate. I'm going to read a uh, quotation from her, which I think is fascinating. I have no idea what it means. So here it goes. So I think it's very important, as you have heard from so many incredible leaders, for us at every moment in time, and certainly this one, to see the moment in time in which we exist and are present, and to be able to contextualize it, to understand where we exist in the history and in the moment as it relates not only to the past, but the future. <laughs> now, Are you, fucking me? you know, this is a woman, this is a woman who, you know, she's supposedly well-educated. She has been in the public eye for what, 30 years plus, maybe. Yeah, about 30 years. She should be very comfortable with the, with spouting the pablum of the, politician and yet she is incapable of it and this tells me that chlamydia harris is really fucking stupid it is just amazing to me this woman cannot speak english she cannot put a simple coherent sentence together it's amazing and she doesn't suffer from dementia. So what's the excuse here? I, mean, I have like, no idea why they chose her there. You know, there are probably 15 or 20 different people that they could have chosen over Chlamydia Harris. And yet they chose her what she's got over the Biden junta. I have no idea. But but crazy. that choice is just crazy. Now, let's face it. You know, the vice president's not a very important person. And certainly in the campaign. The vice presidential candidate can be downplayed and, and minimized and marginalized. So, you know, the grand scheme of things, it's not that big a deal. It's just fun to make fun of her because, man, oh, man, she's a dummy. You know, back, back in the old days in New York City, we used to have a, an anchorman on, on, on Channel 11 News, Bill Jorgensen. And his sign off was thanking you for your time this time till next time. And that's all I kept flashing on, but she kept saying, thank you for your time this time until next time. And I'm going, what in the heck was that word salad? Somewhere Chauncey Gardner is uh, roaming around the planet Earth uh, and going, what the hell? Lady, come on, uh, you know, read a teleprompter, do something. Read Joe Biden, at least they give him crib sheets, not that he could read the crib sheets. Did you see that thing with that? That uh, there was a press conference about South Korea. And yeah, they, no, they actually saw him. How the hell they get away with that is it's just unbelievable it's to me. You know, if that had been Trump, it would have been nonstop criticism. Right. And meanwhile, and, you know, the, there has to be, how, how 
dare they steal the question from the, you know. Yeah, it's like whorehouse media. My God. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's so obvious. Meanwhile, you know, the press doesn't ask a single question about that at all. Nobody is, nobody's, of course, they're not curious about it. They're covering it up. Meanwhile, supposedly, Ron DeSantis is at, a, at an event somewhere, maybe in New Hampshire, and all of a sudden he gets bagged with this question. Is it true that as a junior, you know, as a JAG officer during uh, the war on terror in Gitmo, you were tortured? Some, a guy remembers you torturing him. And I'm going, give me a freaking break. These people, what? You know, come on. I mean, that's unbelievable. They do that shit, but of course, uh, which is a total crock of shit. You know, yeah. <laughs> have you stopped beating your wife? You know, it's that kind of nonsense. segue over to uh, the left coast and uh, California. An Ace Spade reader sent me, uh, D.H. Mosquito, if you're curious who it is, sent me uh, an article about the California legislature, and they are considering new rules mandating electric vehicles being able to not only charge from a home, but power the home in, in certain circumstances. So the idea is that the cars would charge at home and then when the power grid collapsed, they would just pump the power back into the home. Now, I don't really understand the point of that, because as anybody who's ever taken physics or engineering understands, every time you move electricity around, there's losses. And so, it, it, you know, it's not it, it's not a it's not a free transfer of energy. So it's you know, they're building in a certain amount of loss every time they move electricity from place to place now and the purpose of this is sort of opaque to me and i do understand that because it the one of the bill's sponsors is a woman a state senator named nancy skinner and uh i met her a couple of times in berkeley a long time ago she was a a city councilman or a city council person of course in berkeley she was a true believer back then so I have no doubt that this is uh, just more California insanity. So. You know something, CBD? I will I will see your your BF Skinner, whatever the heck her name is, uh, you know, Buffalo Bill Skinner, yeah. and raise you a Jennifer Granholm, our wonderful energy secretary, who has just announced that uh, the junta is now planning on issuing a decree that all military vehicles must be electric powered by the year 2030. And I'm going, you know, go long on extension cords, people. Yeah, this, <laughs> this is crazy. I'm sure you're not making this up. <laughs> I am not making it up. It was in, it's in the morning report, either today or yesterday. Look it up. I, I don't it. make this shit up. I it's crazy. It. And so, I'm thinking, okay, just so, uh, what a great idea. Tank, yeah, uh, the, ba- the main <laughs> battle tank of the United States uh, Armed Forces is the um, the Abrams. And it's got to weigh 50, 60, 70 tons. That's and the it, tank, not the Congress, not the not the woman. Right. Yes, I apologize. You're the governor, uh, not tank. Yeah. Abram, but, yeah. And it uh, <laughs> it goes 45 or 50 miles an hour, and uh, it's just an amazing bit of technology, and it's uh, quite a lethal tool um, for the American for American armed forces, um, and it's driven by I think a 1500 horsepower 
turbine engine that sucks up an, an enormous amount of fuel. And the idea that, it, that they're going to put thousands and thousands of pounds of batteries onto these tanks and run them electrically is, first of all, it's physically impossible. The amount of power you need to push that tank around at high speeds is incredible. The only fuel that is dense enough to do it is petroleum or the nuclear power. I guess maybe, you know, a tiny little nuclear reactor would be neat, too. My theory is anytime we have a war from now on, we'll just uh, drop the 82nd Airborne in ahead of schedule and they'll set up charging stations in the desert. Oh, excuse me, uh, Mr. Terrorist. Do you mind if we set up this charging station? <laughs> We're going to drop yeah. a tank in. It's going to have to charge up. We'll be booty in 10 minutes. The incent- This is just, you know, this, this Skinner woman looks rational by comparison to Jennifer. No, no, Graham. no. <laughs> no, she does. At least, at least okay. Yeah, come, energy comes in, it can come back out. This one, yes, we're going to power the uh, Abrams tanks and uh, C-130s and who the hell knows what by electric by electricity. You got to believe they're either incredibly stupid or they're just so ideologically driven or they know that this is never going to work, but they're saying it anyway to please their base. But, uh, you know, they're going to do it. And again, RFK Jr., if he's ever, God forbid, he becomes president, he's going to institute that. So, yeah, this makes good sense, or at least I, I think he would say that. Certainly the Ocasio-Cortezes of this world are, th- are, are, are aiming for this right now. But it's just madness. It's absolute madness. And there's no – but, we're you know, again, we're, what are we doing? We're, we're not allowing um, oil drilling. We're, we're shutting down coal mines. We're shutting everything down in this country. Again, as we c- cited on the last uh, podcast, CB, you cited, Germany just shut its last uh, coal mine or, you know, whatever coal fire plant or coal mine. And, uh, you know, the lights are going to go out in Germany and people are going to freeze. And that is going to happen here, my friends, if this thing goes any further. And as of this moment, there ain't no stopping it. We're heading for dark and uh, cold and dank and hot times. And there you have it. But at least uh, we'll be able to. We'll be using the correct pronouns. And that's all that matters. (laughs) That is all that matters. Dumb and dumb. Speaking of pronouns, um, we're running a little bit late, but. Seth and I were talking before the uh, we started recording, and he pointed out the increasingly insane state of Minnesota is creating what is essentially a pederast sanctuary. They have sort of decriminalized pedophilia. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I don't know much about it. I'm going to leave this one to, in Sefton's lap. Right. There was a yeah, I had it this morning on the morning report as part of my spiel on the whole. Yeah, I don't every, read that shit. And so, of every. Yeah. Yeah, I don't read, who, who the hell reads it anyway? <laughs> You should only be a fraction of Tucker Carlson's audience, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, supposedly, and this was, there was a lot of pushback on this. There's language in a state bill, and essentially they were removing the language that would have, you know, basically it was about sexual identity and, and uh, sexual, sexual preference and so, sexual orientation and so yeah. on and so forth. And yet it was exclusionary language as is, with the exception of uh, pedophiles, pedophilia. And somebody, they struck that out which wouldn't automatically legalize pedophilia, but it would certainly open the road to it down the road because then it would, would create, well, pedophiles are not covered, so then they must be a protected class. Ergo sum, uh, pedophilia is now legal. And there was a huge backlash against that, and that, that was put on hold. And I say it was put on hold because there was no way in hell they're going to give up on this. If you look back about 10, 15 years, I distinctly remember during the whole debate about gay marriage, which at the time when Obama was running for president his first time, 
or even shortly after he was elected, he said, I respect the sanctity of marriage. I will not support gay marriage. And then look what happened. He, he evolved on that. But Rush Limbaugh, peace be on him, may his blessing memory be for a blessing. He said, don't get me wrong, folks. They are going to push to make pedophilia legalized. They are going to create these people as a victim class going forward. And that's 15 years ago. And look where we are now. Gay marriage is not only legal, is you have to now bake the cake and the church has to sanction the marriage. Forget about what it says in the Bible and forget about your, your primitive religious beliefs. And now the same thing is happen, happening with pedophilia. They are trying to do this. And if all things are remain the way they are now, politically and culturally in this country, which, believe me, I think at this point, the culture is the politics and the politics is the culture. No longer downstream from it, as Breitbart once said. This is going to happen unless uh, something, some people intervene in this. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind, pedophiles will become like Jackie Robinson was in 1947. I guarantee it. Ah, what a charming, charming thing. So this reminds me of Charles Napier. He was a, uh, I've, I've told this story before, he was a British general. And he was given authority somewhere in India, I've forgotten exactly where. And he promptly made sati illegal. Sati is the charming Indian tradition of burning the widow on a man's funeral byre. And the, uh, the people came to him and said, well, this is our tradition. How can you change it? And he said, well, you have your tradition and we have ours. You burn widows and we hang murderers. And I think that is what is going to happen in the United States. Certainly not officially. But I, I think that the idea that pedophilia is going to be normalized is insanity. And I think that pedophiles will be murdered by otherwise law-abiding Americans because this, this is a country that loves its children. And our children are being, un, are being attacked by the transgender lunatics. Um, they're grooming them. They're trying to convince them that, you know, if they pick up a doll when they're six years old, then that means that they're a girl. Or if they uh, throw a baseball when they're seven, that means they're a boy, regardless of their uh, biological sex. And we, as yeah. I said, we, we like our kids and we're going to protect them. And uh, you know, the push, pushback against transgen transgenderism is happening now. It's happening in many, many states. And the pushback yeah. against pedophilia will dwarf the pushback against transgenderism. And people are going to be killed. Uh, I, I am confident of that. And it's a you terrible know, thing. You know, I'm sorry to cut no, you off. It's a terrible thing that, that we are being pushed to that end. Exactly. It is not. Bingo. The, the reason I hate the left with such a passion is not necessarily for their policies and their beliefs, which are abhorrent to begin with. It's the fact that they are in such a, a state and pushing us to such a level that we are going to have to do things that normally under normal circumstances in a billion, billion years, we would never dream of doing. They're pushing us to, to, to commit acts or to. To the, to the brink of having to commit acts that we would find abhorrent ourselves. But look, this is, this is what it's about. And I do not condone violence. I, I hate violence. It is abhorrent to me. It is, it has affected me and my family personally, both uh, on a historic level and on a personal level, post historic time, shall we say. But I'm telling you, this is not good. And I was going to say, isn't this interesting how all of a sudden the shall we say the freedom fighters du jour are these transsexuals like that psycho Audrey what's her face who is hopefully burning in hell who shot up a church yeah. uh, or shot up a, a religious school. And of course the police refused to release the manifesto 
or if they're going to release it, you better believe it's going to be so heavily redacted that because it would that would probably cause an outrage that would be unbearable. Or at least the, the junta feels that. But this is in our face. This is no longer a benign uh, you know, thing. It's like there's no difference between this person and between the Antifa scum who, you know, who hurled Molotov cocktails and tried to kill Kyle Rittenhouse and beat up on Andy No. And there's no difference between them and the BLM thugs who set fire to scores of cities uh, in the wake of the, the George Floyd nonsense. So it's coming our way. And, and pedophilia, forget it. You know, and you say, well, you know, there'll be vigilantism, but now watch how fast law, you know, the, the whole people who said defund the police will be screaming, well, we have to fund the police to fight up against these vigilantes who are killing us. And that is going to be an interesting turn of events. So you, you watch how fast law enforcement, you know, becomes an issue again, of course, to the left, because they'll be the ones who are doing the enforcing and they're the ones that are writing the laws. And when they write the laws, it's the same as uh, Hitler's Germany and Hitler's courts uh, writing laws to expedite the, the final solution. It's going to come here. It's inevitable if we don't stop it. Well, with that cheery thought, um, <laughs> I think that uh, we can conclude another edition of Cut Jib Newsletter, the podcast. CBD, it has been a distinct pleasure. Welcome back home, I think, uh, to America, or what was America, <laughs> sinking fast. Anyway, uh, for CBD, it's JJ Sefton. Uh, you've been listening to the Cut Jib Newsletter Speaks podcast. Thank you to everyone who is hitting our tip jar and supporting us. We really, really appreciate it. And we will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening, folks.